0: Hello and welcome everyone, I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next episode of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is August 9th. We are on day 524 of Global Work From Home. Today on Here to Help, we'll be talking about Rising Voices, which is a program we launched at the start of 2021 in partnership with Emmy award-winning writer, producer, and actress Lena Waith. Rising Voices started with a very simple idea, a big TV ad for Indeed might cost a million dollars. And what if, instead, we invested a million dollars for 10 Black, Indigenous, and people of color, or BIPOC, creators, to produce short films about the meaning of work? How would their unique perspective on work and life show up in these stories? At Indeed, we know that talent is universal, but opportunity is not. And these 10 extraordinary films and the stories they tell are proof of the power of opportunity. For those of you interested, the films are all available today to stream at indeed.com slash risingvoices and on Amazon Prime Video. Now, none of this would have been possible without the superhuman efforts of my two guests today. Costanza and Domenica Castro are the founders of 271 Films, and they were the executive producers of all 10 Rising Voices productions. They collaborated with and supported our Rising Voices directors, and they ensured that all 10 films were finished on budget and even more amazingly on time for our global premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in June. Costanza and Domenica, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, let's start where we always start these conversations by just uh, asking how you're doing. How are, how are you both right now?
1: We're doing great. We're excited to get to chat with you. We have our coffee. We're in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's a nice day. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm great. I'm super excited to be able to be here to talk about this uh program, which means uh a, a lot to us here at Indeed and to me personally. Um and so we're gonna we're gonna dive into it, but but before we do that. For those folks who who don't really understand, can you just talk a little bit about what does a producer and an executive producer actually do?
1: Oof. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with producer. Um, What does a producer not do? Might be like the more, you know, adequate question. I mean, a producer does it all. A producer ensures that Anything that needs to be available from like resources to money is actually available available to get a movie to safety, from you know? to safety, yeah, um to get a film from start to finish, and finish is not just like we have a completed film, it just travels through distribution festivals um sort of the life after the film is made um so you know you're you're like the mother sort of or father or you know, parent of your, of this baby that we call film. Um, and we, yeah, we just ensure that every single thing is available for creativity to happen and for stories to be told, told creating like a safe space,
2: kind of like a, you know, safe sandbox for people to play in and create uh, whatever the story requires. Um, you know, it's all about the story at the end of the day, but it always is about the people who make the story. And that's the job of the producer is to ensure that both of those are met in the best, um, in the best way that they can be.
0: So let's talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. So you, you are sisters and uh you are both from Mexico City. Can you talk a little bit about your journey to founding 271 Films?
2: Yeah, we've always been partners, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in, in life. <laughs> and she, Constanza is like my first and best friend. Um, and we <laughs> kind of just uh, grew up with a pretty good dynamic between us. And we were always close, uh, except maybe in our, middle school years, years. there was a pretty large gap, even though we're only a year and a half apart. There was, you know, that age moment where you're like so different. I was still a child and she was going into becoming a teenager and we just couldn't understand each other. Um, But beyond that, we've been, you know, best friends from the beginning.
1: And business partners, Um, we would sell candy on the street and lemonade and T-shirts, like whatever. Yeah, Yeah, we have always been business partners. But in terms of 271, um, we opened the, you know, our LA um, company at the beginning of pandemic. So right before, actually right before pandemic, it was like February, we were working on a project with Rishi and Lena. We were like, okay, it's time to actually, because we had started the company in Las Vegas, in Nevada, like let's open in LA, in California. And then pandemic hit, which was interesting. But the journey of opening, just we wanted to make sure that we had a space to tell the stories that we wanted to tell, and to be able to say yes to stories that maybe some people weren't saying yes to because they didn't find it interesting or whatever the reason might be. Um, but that is a little bit of like in a nutshell <laughs> why we decided to open to Seven One Films.
0: So, so you mentioned story and obviously the, the inspiration for Rising Voices was to, to bring new voices to, to telling these stories. Um, Talk a little bit maybe about your inspiration for your, your love of, of storytelling and, and maybe what the, what the power of story means.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, story, the power of story and what it means. It's, you know, I think it's, part of the human experience. We all are, we all carry a story with us. um, And we also are always exposed to different stories that change us and move us and help us evolve in the time that we have here. Um, And so the power of story is pretty like, you know, wild, I think in, in so many ways. And that's why it's such a joy to work in a space where Story is celebrated and brought to life um, and the stories of people that you know continue to inspire us or bring wonder or fear or um, you know joy. joy or you know things into our lives that uh, moments and emotional moments in our lives that help us cope with life you know is also really a big part of um, of, of a story and
1: We're like, we love stories that like enable compassion and empathy and that hopefully we're like very hopeful people. And so we have a lot of hope that was like instilled in us from a very early age. Um, Our parents always said, without hope, you have nothing. And so, you know, I think for us, we look at story in a way to, as a tool Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to enable change that is much needed for all of the history of the
2: world (laughs) and consistent support you know also just even i think there's movies that have pushed the envelope of like technology in amazing ways just because someone had a, a pretty big idea as to like you know going into some I mean, the animation of today is so different from before, but without the previous one, we would never be here. And so it's like, you know, it just, yeah. I mean, story just pushes the envelope in in so many ways because it allows for imagination and emotions to sort of connect. And it's kind of, to me, one of the most sacred spaces that a human being can inhabit within their their selves.
0: Can you share a little bit about your own experience as immigrants to the U.S. and how that shaped your work and and the stories that you're drawn to?
2: Yeah. I mean, we grew up in Mexico and so a lot of the content that we were um, experiencing was, yes, obviously there's Mexican content, but American exports of cinema and uh, cartoons and all of that were, you know, also part of our childhood um, in Mexico. And so I would say that even before we moved here, we were impacted by sort of an American Um, lens and an American lens, and that we were experiencing life while we were at home, um, also through sort of like you know the eyes of um, of Americans, which seem to feel like that's the viewpoint of the whole world. Like that's kind of how that's like the best way to see Mm -hmm. it. Um, And so, I mean, if you go to Mexico, you see that a lot of people speak English, and a lot of a lot of people are. Um, I mean, just from music to like the arts. I just the U.S. does have this very powerful way of like, you know, portray, uh, sharing the the arts to the rest of the world and becoming sort of like the the voice um, for for all of us. And so when once we moved to the U.S., it kind of actually changed. And we started to see life, you know, in in kind of more of like a, a Mexican. Like, it, to try to make sense of like, oh, what is, you know, now now I'm really just in this space that where I don't get to share, like, I used to see it through an American lens, but from American, uh, Mexican perspective, and now I'm really just in an American perspective and an American lens. And sort of like trying to understand what that, what that means has transformed us into also even connecting a little bit stronger for me with my... Um, with my heritage and my roots and sort of trying to dig deeper into not losing that because Mm -hmm. it's important to bring it to life and to now be here and try to tell stories that represent us, not through an American lens, but through, you know, a Mexican lens. And And our own perspective. And our own perspective, yeah. It,
1: it, It was definitely... I feel like as I get older, I start to realize how much of an identity crisis you go through as an immigrant. Especially after spending we've been here now 23 years, and and the the sense of belonging really co- becomes part of like, you know, if I go to Mexico, I don't, I'm not, I have, I haven't experienced life as a Mexican living in that country for so long that I feel a sense of n- a lack of belonging. But then here, I'm also not fully like. An American, so we struggle, not struggle, but we, at least I definitely go through delving into that experience and instead of trying to understand it, just trying to uh, accept it, no?
2: Yeah, and I would also add that there's, it's kind of a superpower that I think, you know, Mm -hmm. people that live in our space kind of have, it's. I've learned to embrace it in a way that feels pretty like unique and special to really be from nowhere, but be from somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. within you and sort of what that does when you do integrate yourself into both spaces or different spaces and to kind of sort of, you know, you kind of experience how you also change the temperature of a room a little bit and how, you know, your experiences are maybe like, you know, you're not in the you're not able to... Uh, I mean, sometimes when I go to Mexico and I speak fluent Spanish, like, I mean, it's my first language, but I spend so much time speaking English that anybody who speaks, you know, other languages would also, I think, would, would resonate with this, but you just get so used to communicating in one form that when you do go back, you sort of realize, oh, it's been a long time and I'm not as... I'm a little rusty in yeah. my Spanish, but that even changes something in in the room and in a conversation and it's not necessarily in a in a negative way and you know I've learned to to experience the world through my lens and be okay with like how it's sort of you know maybe clashing against other other worlds but you know it's it's all you can you know it's all you can be it's what you are and a place you know a place is just a place to me um it's more like you know what you what you do with with your life and how you carry yourself into the world in different spaces.
0: I think it's amazing to think about how much of creativity and art comes from that uh, sort of connection between different experiences. And, you know, we were talking before we started recording about food. And one mm-hmm. of the things that 's amazing about food is there's traditional food and cuisine from a specific region, but when people move around and take ideas from one place and bring it to another and bring them together that 's actually when really interesting things start to happen and so it mm-hmm. it resonated what you were talking about with the, with those experiences and I, th- I think I see that and certainly in a lot of the work that came out of rising voices so let's let 's talk a little bit about rising voices the The first chance that we had to meet was when we got, um, incredibly fortunate to have Lena Waith and Hillman Grad, uh, to help bring us this idea of Rising Voices to life. Um, can you talk a little bit about, so we, I had Rishi, uh, Rajani on an earlier episode of Here to Help when we were just launching the program, um, whose, uh, works with Lena. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to meet Lena and Rishi and how you got involved in this project?
1: yeah. We met Rishi and Lena, I think three years ago, when they had a commercial that was directed by Minhel Bag, And she brought on she brought us on to produce the commercial. And it was like the first commercial. It's about maternal health. We called it the first baby that we all kind of created together. Yeah. Um and um ever since we realized that. We share values and we share the kind of stories that we want to make and we share the kind of artistic vision, artistic vision but also the kind of a work environment that we like to create for the industry that we're sort of like pushing forward. And we've been so fortunate enough to get to work with um, Rishi and Lena, who have truly taken us under their belt and have, you know given us incredible opportunities, Rising Voices being one of them. So we're beyond grateful. When Rishi called us about it, we're like, Rishi, this sounds crazy, but okay, let's do it. <laughs> He's like, I can't do it without you. We're like, all right, we we got this. And so, you know, when you when you have like an un, undeniable sort of opportunity in front of you, you have to say yes, even if you're scared, <laughs> even if you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do it but let's do it. Calculated and, risk. Yes. <laughs> we can do this. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have always seen every opportunity that we have gotten to work with them as, as like love projects. There's just so much love and soul that comes out of them and their mission and our mission. And, the, and to us, that's like the kind of, always we're like, we need to just work with more people like Rishi and Lina. They are true game changers in this industry. So, yeah,
2: there's compassion, love, um, connection, you know, open communication, trust. Like, there's all the things transparency. that
1: Transparency. Th- there's no transparency, there's transparency in this transparency. industry. Everything is just sort of like... Ah. Um, and it's just the way that we enjoy working. Um, uh, and it makes a world of a difference,
2: you know, when you have those solid... Foundations, everything else from there up can only be great. And that's what Lena and Rishi bring to this industry and have definitely brought to us. So we're obviously immensely grateful to them.
0: <laughs> so, so let's talk a, a little bit about the program itself, because I think that most people have no idea what it takes to make a single short film. Let alone 10, and let alone on the, on the timeline here. So, just, just to walk folks through, we, we opened up for submissions for Rising Voices on February 16th. And we knew that we wanted to shoot for a premiere, all 10 films finished and up on a screen at the Tribeca Film Festival on June 16th. So, that's just four months from when we got, I think, more than 800 screenplays submitted. You all had to, with a group of people, read through all those, narrow that down to 20. You then interviewed 20 filmmakers and then selected 10 and then had to do pre-production shooting and post-production and get everything ready. Um, knowing all of that, what what did you think <laughs> at the start of this in terms of were we really going to be able to pull this off?
2: Ooh. I feel like also, because it's like, yes, yeah, we can do this. Let's do it. And then- as everything starts to take shape and become more real and the work becomes so... And time starts ticking. so intense. And the time just has no mercy. There was a time bomb. Day- at its face. <laughs> and yeah. we were just like consistently faced by the Im- how impossible the tasks seemed, seemed to be. But also how possible... Like there was always a light of possibility that like never stopped shining, I guess. And it's what kept us going and moving forward. I mean, obviously, reviewing the submissions, the, I mean, the time, it was like nothing. It, it, you know, it's just, it's so many submissions. It's so much work to look through.
1: And so much talent also. And so that much was talent. Yeah. We read some incredible scripts and we're like, well, we have to narrow it down. Um, that became also difficult, but it was a great opportunity to also keep um, a tracking list of other really talented filmmakers. Um, but it was, it was, Everything was a challenge, but but in life everything is a challenge. In film, everything is a challenge. In work, everything is a challenge. And I just think it's about overstepping those challenges and being and and knowing that if you put the time and work, it'll happen. And we were lucky enough that all the filmmakers and everybody that they brought on board to create the films over five hundred eh, people came together to make this happen. Eh, it just is proof that the impossible can actually happen. <laughs> and, and there was so much, like, there's there
2: was such a strong mission behind it that there, it, you know, it was undeniable to just go for it, you know? It's not every day that uh, these 10 filmmakers, basically, the way I saw it was like, you, two weeks ago, this wasn't on your radar. And today you wake up and there is 135 plus thousand dollars that are going to be invested in you like there suddenly you have this money that you can invest in yourself to tell a story to get the next job it's incredible like you know it's not something that comes along every day it has never come along and it's never come along (laughs) and that sort of opportunity and and in the safe and beautiful space that was you know set up is because there's programs where they're like here's you know x amount of money and now go off and do it on your own and everyone's at risk everyone who is working on those projects is not insured is not going through payroll is not you know really not protected and the filmmakers end up risking a lot just ignorance is bliss you know and there's the motivation if i want to make something but this is a form of really making something beautiful in a responsible and fair you know manner to people that have great stories to tell
0: yeah, the you know mentioned before that sort of intersection of different experiences is is one important ingredient of creativity for me. I think the other essential ingredient of creativity is constraints, and that when you have if you have one hundred and fifty million dollars in three years, sure you can you can do. But there's there's something about you've got three months, <laughs> you've got one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars. But which which, as you said, for a short film is is a very generous. That's a real budget, but it is a set of constraints. And they had very very short time schedules to work on, which makes you make decisions about how many locations you can use and how many you know, uh, actors and how many pages you're shooting a day and things like that. And, and to me, how people respond to constraints actually is where some of the most amazing art comes from. So to talk about constraints, let me just throw this out there one of the other biggest constraints we had was covid so yeah. we were early on in and there were you know productions shut down all over the world for a long period of time they started coming back so we had you all had some idea of what protocols were like and we had set aside a $25,000 budget just just for covid can you talk a little bit about the role that covid played in these productions and how you managed to keep these productions all going
2: yeah i mean for us ten you know we've done productions through COVID and so far, knock on wood, we've been clear because there are protocols that you can follow that help keep people safe, um, such as like wearing a mask and, but it's very uncomfortable to work in this a mask, way, yeah. especially in production and especially in a, you know, it's just really, really long hours and really, really hard work. Um, but it, I mean, we thought, okay, 10 movies, there might be the chance that one you know has a, an outbreak because we've seen it in in the business consistently we see big shows getting shut down like so the fact that it didn't happen is kind of a miracle and and a, you know amazing thing but i think it also came from the diligence of like creating protocols that and enforcing protocols that really kept everybody safe and having very responsible people join the teams and understand the importance keeping of each keeping each other's other safe, other safe.
1: But, it, but also you can't do any of this without having, having the, the money. money. Yes. And so I think that one of the key components of this, of getting through the COVID challenge was knowing that there was enough money to ensure the safety of everybody. To us, that was very important. I know that obviously for you guys, it was in, like super important that every single film had $25,000 for COVID safety. And that in itself was in my opinion, what enable for this safety because you have enough money to test people constantly, to have COVID officers on set, to have protocols being taken care of. And, you COVID know- It's expensive.
2: <laughs> it's very
1: expensive. <laughs> so that was a big challenge. We forced, we we talked about the fact that there was a high possibility that at least one film would would end up with a case. And we were extremely lucky that that was not the case. And I also think that, like Domas said, it comes down to like the responsibility that each crew member had within themselves to keep each other safe. So you can do the testing, you can have the COVID officer, but if you don't wear your mask, if you don't wash your hands, if you don't keep your distance, there's just so much that those things can do. So we also have to give it to every single person that took it upon themselves to keep everybody safe. Yeah, keep each other safe.
0: Now, uh- I know when we spoke before, you all had your own uh, experience with COVID impacting your work. Can you talk a little bit about your, your own experience with this in, in the middle of everything that was going on?
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so we kicked off production March 15th, where like we did the big intro with all the filmmakers. And so that's kind of for us sort of the beginning of production. And March 25th, when I was heading back from Mexico City to L.A., I tested positive for COVID and two days later, Domenica tested positive for COVID. Um, We had been getting tested. We had been wearing a mask. We just had some family um, things that we had to deal with. And unfortunately we contracted the virus. Um, We were very, very, very sick. We didn't tell anybody because we didn't think that we had to because we kept working and we didn't stop at any moment. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and for 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 clarity, you were working remotely.
1: Remotely, oh yes, we were yes, working exactly. remotely. Yes. Very important thing. We yes. were quarantined.
2: I mean, all of pre-production happened remotely. That's another reason why also the productions were able to be minimize safe and minimize yeah. the risk. We encouraged as much remote work as possible, from auditions to, you know, and if there were in-person auditions, there were some dance, you know, films that required choreography and. So a lot of like testing and pre-testing and all of that went into making that happen. But we really, really, really encouraged as much remote work as possible. And pretty much we produced the films remote uh, in life. remote work Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. while we were just quarantining ourselves and hoping that we would make it through COVID. We had, I mean, it was horrible. We had pneumonia. We, we got not the easy COVID. We got the really rough COVID. Um, and... But we just kept going, and I think having Rising Voices as our thing to do in the moment was really, a, you know, a force that pushed us to pushed us through um, the illness and to just keep going. And I mean, at the end, you know, we did reveal to the team, like, we had COVID, and, the, and they were like, we never knew, but actually, we did hear you cough, and we were wondering, and I was like, I know, but... You know, we didn't want anybody to panic or, and there were days where I really, I mean, I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I lost a little bit of like my motor um, skills and it was, it was really, really hard, but somehow, you know, I just thought, okay, I don't know what happens. I've never had COVID before. And if anybody who has had it, and I know we all have different experience with it, it's really horrible. And to... I just didn't know if I would live or not, you know, at the end, because I felt so ill. And, but I was convinced that till the very end, I would continue to make the films. And I was like, if whatever happens, uh, you know, I'm still going to keep going. And and we did, we kept going and we made it through. And then we, you know, saw them come to life at Tribeca with everybody. And it was just incredible. It's
1: yeah, this was a beautiful experience. We're so proud of this of this work and the work that everybody did. We're we're really really proud.
0: Well, it, it's an it's an amazing story, and it, um, I mean, it, it, if if you saw it in a film, it would almost feel like it was it was hard to believe and too made up that that there's that much drama that went into it. But but I I loved hearing you say that the the mission of what we were trying to do was helpful to you in, in dealing with your own personal challenge. That's something that, that we have talked a lot about at Indeed over the last year and a half. Every, we have 11,000 employees. Every single employee has had their own set of challenges. Many people have gotten sick, have, have lost family members and friends and things like that. And, and for all of us, knowing that what we're doing every day is meaningful and, and helping in the world. And especially over the last year and a half, our, our mission has been more vital than than it's ever been, that that has helped us every day to wake up and, and feel like we were doing something that was contributing. So um, it's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that.
2: Yeah. Jobs with purpose are the best thing that I think can happen to a person's life. Mission purpose. Yeah.
1: Mission driven purpose is what keeps us at least going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might have missed, like my conversation with Stephanie Hagadorn, and get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Costanza and Domenica Castro after this break. So I'd love to hear a little bit about... Um, the The filmmakers. So obviously, the, the whole thing is really about these. Uh, well, there's 11 creators for for 10 films, um, and you all uh, built incredibly strong relationships with all of them. Can you Can you talk about their experience? What it was like? What What were some of the challenges they faced during this process?
1: Yeah, I mean, the challenge was. I think the biggest challenge was time. It was it was that we didn't have time. But like you mentioned, Chris, when you build um, a, like like a sandbox for creation, because you need parameters to create. If you don't have a deadline, you can go on forever. If you don't have uh, a, you know limited resources, then what are you going to do? And so I think that having having created um, just. Uh, Like a safe space with parameters was something that helped the filmmakers um, a lot because we had to constantly have deadlines and be pushing them. And it's like, you have to deliver this film by, you know, June 1st to premiere at Tribeca on June 16th. Um, And so I think that time was probably the biggest challenge because in creative work, a lot of times you need to sort of be able to step away from your film for a couple of days and just be like, okay, I'm not gonna think about this film. I'm not gonna think about the edit. I'm not gonna think about what it is. I'm gonna just take some time off. And I think that that was one of the biggest challenges because we, the filmmakers didn't have that time. So they had to work through making those decisions that they didn't want to make, you know, a lot of times. Um, but I, I commend each and every one of them through working through that giant challenge because artists need for the most part to be able to be removed from from their work and then be able to make decisions but none of them had that and in the end they had 10 very powerful stories um and and i i think part of becoming
2: you know like Taking, taking your work into the professional space does require this type of growth. It requires that you make decisions in the, in the moment and that you know your story so deeply and so well that you can choose quickly where it has to go because nobody knows it better than you at that point. And so I think while it was a challenge, it's also something that will... I think in, in this amount of time, they, you know, at least... Like, it was like a giant sprint to mm-hmm. the next and like the growth, um, the growth uh, within themselves because of like what Constance is saying, param- when parameters are set, you have to grow, like because you have to compromise, because you have to adapt, because you have to, you know, make it happen with what you got. And I always say this, I think, in every interview, and but I there's a quote by Guillermo del Toro that like completely is a is something that I've just taken in, and carried throughout not just my work in film but my work my in just in life you know and um he was asked what is the um you know how how can the capabilities of a director be uh, measured and he said that the capabilities of a director are measured by their ability to negotiate with reality and i mm-hmm. thought that's like i mean i i it's just something that every time i say it or i you know just it it, makes really ignites me and it makes so much sense because Mm -hmm. it it is exactly that and you know we had this program allowed for mentorship and Constanza and I had calls with the filmmakers at like one in the morning or whenever something was happening or they had something to share or something to say and there was a lot of like you know I understand and I hear the the challenge that you're facing in the moment but like we've got to push through it and I think that's also going back to like the work of a producer. It's that, it's like being that support system. You're like the therapist, the friend, the mother, the partner, the everything to a film and the people that make the film with you. Um, And so this, in this mentorship program, there were a lot of these kind of real conversations where we were like, I understand that you're being, you know, pushed because of time to make sort of a quick decision that you're not sure that you're, you're ready to make right now, but this is welcome to Hollywood. Like this is what happens. You're going to be, you know, doing this constantly making lives. decisions. And so this is just, you know, take this in and see it as an exercise into building this muscle that is going to be your strongest tool as a director in this business. You know, people like to hire people that know what they're doing and people that are ready to commit to to something and not just, you know, out of the blue, but like a conscious made decision. That helps the story become what what it's you know that that takes that makes the vision come to life.
1: But it's also turning a a challenge for me is always an opportunity to look back at the story and say like, how can we use this challenge to enforce and to and you know take a cons and make it a pro. So that's always the approach to a problem is okay, cool. Yes, we have a giant problem and it's horrific. And we have to figure, we have to overcome it. There's no other option. So how do you turn that into something that makes you win and that makes you, your story better? So I think that's also like our approach uh, challenges is turn it into something positive. Yeah. And the fear of like, this may be the
2: last time I make a movie and we said, no, 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 that's not what you, don't sit in that mindset. This is one of the many movies that you will make don't have the fear that this is the last chance you have, you know, it's, this is, and, and and I think that was a lot of like the energy that was felt at times, because obviously this is an incredible opportunity. I mean, this money doesn't come along I, I, so, you know, ever so often or at all, I feel like it's the first time. So I, I understood that that was like present in, you know, in the radars is like, I have to make the perfect film, the best film. And artists will always, you know, feel that way like artists will always also rise up to like authority which is great it's like you must you know that's part of being an artist you have to also challenge the system and obviously with everything you create a system to try to you know to make things work but it's it was also really beautiful to see and to feel the the pushback and it just made us realize that yes of course we made the right choices by choosing these filmmakers because these are artists that have you know they they have the they have the the drive to stand up to what doesn't feel right and also push back and also uh, Mm -hmm. uh, but also then compromise and understand oh this is also a business and this is also there's a deadline and there's a delivery and we must compromise Mm -hmm. so i mean it was a a growing experience uh for sure and we keep getting text messages from the filmmakers they check in with us like what you know hi what are you guys doing i just want to say that this was an amazing experience and like we hear from friends that, you know, know some of the filmmakers or whatever, like we've just heard from them the best things about the program. and
1: We're all on a high and so, this high will keep going. Yeah, I for- don't
2: think it'll stop. <laughs> and the next thing they do, I mean, we'll be the, I mean, I think we all will be the first to be, you know, there to cheer them on. And, and this is just the beginning. I We said this, you know, don't see this as, this is, you're playing the long game. You're making a short right now. You're gonna play, this is the long game. Go for the long
0: game, you know. <laughs> mm. That's I I I love that I had not heard that line before about negotiating with reality, and that's such an amazing kind. So it's like a situational jujitsu, right? Transforming bad circumstances into part of the path and and the experience. I think that's uh, that applies in a lot more than just film. That's a, a really fantastic. I love that. So well, so I'd love to then just jump ahead. You you know you talked about then that experience of us all getting to be together in in New York City um at a Tribeca Film Festival that was navigating its own set of covid protocols and the the screening was was out outdoors at this new venue that had just opened up New York had just opened up this was before the recent surges that we're going through right now the weather was perfect it was an amazing day there was this huge Massive screen. I, for me, it was the first time since COVID started that I was together with a group of people watching a film on a large screen. And the 11 filmmakers were there. They had brought their family and their friends, uh, Hillman Grad, you, the folks from Ventureland, all these people who had collaborated to make these things happen, came together with the the audience from Tribeca. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of what it was like for for you all from from your seat in your on your laptops <laughs> managing this production to coming into that experience and and not even just the screening seeing we we had installations all over new york city uh around these films and and what was what was that experience like for you being able to just walk in and actually experience all this at the end
2: yeah i mean meeting everybody in person was mm. probably the highlight yeah Because we were all so close at that point. We had been in the trenches and, you know, together through the screen and through a phone. And it just felt like we knew each other, but we'd never met in person. And so to finally, you know... See, I remember I was at the hotel lobby and I saw DeAndre and Quincy and Elise and it was like, oh my gosh, hi guys. (laughs) Like, this is so cool. Like, we get to finally be together. Um, Oh yeah. And then from there, you know, it just kept growing. And so many of the cast of the films were able to join. And so it's all these people that, I mean, some of them we had been very closely working with, but there were others that we'd just been watching, you know, the cuts and the edits and admiring the work that they did on set um, and then to finally sort of see everybody, you know, it's kind of, for me, it was kind of like running, and it was this giant family reunion mm-hmm. in a way that where you're, you know, kind of meeting your cousins that you've never met, but you know about. <laughs> and like, it just felt, you know, it was so special. And I mean, getting to obviously meet you and, uh, it, you know, it was just, it brought everything full circle in a way that it's probably one of the best celebrations of my life um it really felt that way and it was so special and i know that you know you guys the folks at indeed went above and beyond to create an experience that was that's an everlasting memory um for totally. everybody i could just hear from the filmmakers i mean the, the way in which you guys celebrated their work was truly extraordinary
1: but also to then watch all ten, 10 films play back to back. Oh, yes. Because, you know, short programs tend to be like hour and a half long, maybe two hours tops, six to seven shorts max, no? And so we had never, A, been a shorts program that was gonna be a three hour long program with a break, but also to watch 10 films. And so that was something that was new to us. And we were like, oh, you know, it's our babies, so of course we love them, but we wonder how, like, an audience is gonna react to that. And when we look back at the end, Domenica, like, keeps talking, telling me about this moment where she, like, looked back at the end of the program and everybody was, like, sitting and clapping and still there, and we're like, yes! Like, everybody stayed through! And for us, that was probably one of the most uh, rewarding moments because, you know, when you, also the power of watching 10 back-to-back BIPOC films about BIPOC people and worlds and stories that were not just checking boxes, that were true to the unique experience of each and every single one of these filmmakers. Um, And it's like, you know, yes, this is this is the future of Hollywood. This is what we need. This is what, you know, it's, we have a responsibility to create stories that are representative of and that, our world and each world living in each person and each filmmaker. And that was also very cool. I mean,
2: and we ended up with so many films in foreign languages with subtitles. And so, I, you know, I've been conditioned to be... To, I mean, I don't... I, I've read subtitles my whole life and it's never made me not want to watch the movie or not like a movie. Um, But I've been conditioned to like, you know, subtitles have always been like, ah, people don't love them or... So of course I was like, I, you know, this is, maybe the audience won't uh, sit through it as well as we all will sit through it. But contrary to that, everyone stayed there. Everybody loved the movies and, and more than anything, everyone was entertained. I could just tell that they were entertained. And like, we, this is the entertainment business and we've been told for so long that our stories are not that entertaining or that interesting. And this was really gratifying for me as a person of color to sit through and sort of challenge that um, that idea and, and see it challenged with reality. And just, you know, nobody left. I mean, the program was <laughs> long, it's three hours nobody left. Everybody stayed. And I could hear at the end of the, of the program, because obviously, you know, people that know you've made the movies are always going to say something nice to you about them. But I just wanted to kind of remove myself from that. And I walked out with the crowd. I walked myself to the, to the after party just so that I could kind of get a sense of what happened, you know, and, and around us. And I could just hear people down the street, like that was great. And wow, that flew, the time flew by so quickly. And you know, I can't believe that was three hours, and so it just that those moments really meant a lot because it remind you know it reinforces the importance of these stories to be told. I think people are ready for something new, and for you know you have a, a Johnson's movie. It, it's just even it's an experience that I've never really had in cinema before. We couldn't mm. cut his film shorter because it was designed when he shot it to. Edit to be edited in a specific way, and there's there was so much craft and you know I, just every movie. I could sit here and talk about every single <laughs> yeah. one of the films endlessly <laughs> because it you know it's just there were such there's such special stories, Um and I was excited to see them re- be received with so much. There was a space for them.
0: Yeah, and I think that that you know what was so. Striking was this initial idea of instead of taking a bunch of money and spending it on one thing that if you gave opportunity to different people with different experiences that you would get different and unique stories and 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 to be frank, you know I think we were i think we were thinking there might be a couple of gems in there and maybe some not and and just to see ten extraordinary and beautiful and exquisite and so personal and meaningful stories. And it was 10 out of 10 that um, clearly there's so much more out there. So I think that was, you know, anyone that might have any doubts about um, what the future of Hollywood might be or, or what kind of stories are out there. That was really our hope going into this, and we talked a lot about this with Lena and Rishi. Is that you know we obviously would like to continue to do things like this, but we we hope to inspire other people um, because there's just so much more out there that's not that are stories that haven't been told before. And and that was to me seeing these ten stories back to back the 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 unbelievable variety of human experience that was represented in. I mean, three hours is actually a short time to represent that that amount that breadth of experience it was it was truly incredible um well so one thing obviously as as indeed we care a lot about jobs and and work and one of the things that we were really happy about was because of the real funding that was available we not only created an opportunity for these 11 filmmakers but there were more than i think 500 jobs that were created from you know, craft service to camera operator to, you know, Johnson was even talking about the fact that they could, they could rent this space out and and pay the people for the the space and pay the people who brought in the food. Where he's worked on things before, where you had to, you know, beg, uh, you know, and and steal and and borrow to get things done. Um, can you talk about what what you think the experience of of working on these films was like for the, the all the people that had the chance to to work on them and and what that means for for their future in in this industry.
2: Yeah. I mean it was kind of a you know for example that studio space it's been pandemic and you know everybody's business has gone a little bit slower than before and I think well it you know obviously the money goes quick regardless of it's a Large quantity, but the money does go quick. But, um, but I think it went to the right places and to the right people. Um, and while, you know, the resources, you 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 have to manage the resources because everything costs uh, money. I mean, just like the permits alone, and this. Um, It's not like a student film where you have a student letter and can go get discounts. This was kind of the real game and the real deal. And so, um, but I think it impacted a lot of communities. I know, uh, for example, at we have a good relationship with them. And when this came about, we were like, hey, we have, you know, these 10 films and we'd love for them to have a real camera, like rental house experience. with real gear and da da da, but like we need your help to you know cut us a deal. And would you and they love the program and they're like, Yes, uh, yes, of course, we will join you. Yeah. And same with like company three and some other post houses. And just because these, these, I mean, post production and equipment, real equipment is expensive, but you can only make elevated work with the tools that elevated work gets that made with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the, the cool thing about it was like that it wasn't a favor. There was like money that could be, uh, could yeah. you know, that could be put into asking maybe like instead of it costing so much money, like could you cut us a deal? But we can pay, you know, we can pay um a, a pretty good amount to, to get this experience. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the impact was was. Big across the board. The filmmakers
1: got to be paid for their work. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. (laughs) Never. But even I think in in terms of like everybody working on the film, I think when you have a powerful mission that's actually carried through by every single person working on it, that's when change and magic happens. And then you have a responsibility to carry that spirit and mission forward. And like, for example, like one of the coolest things was every time we got a call sheet and we would look at it and seeing all these names, you know, that are not like, you know, John Smith, you know, Sorry, and John like going Smith. to set and seeing all these BIPOC filmmakers. I know like, for example, Johnson wanted to find a first lady because all of his background, you know, he wanted to be able to communicate uh, in their language and he hired an ad that could speak uh that language and 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 just go it was it was truly magical like i had never seen anything like that to be honest
2: it was Johnson's call sheet was like whoa this is amazing but it
1: but it's like you can see that everybody has that responsibility and they're carrying it through to just the hiring their BIPOC communities and fighting to find those creatives that are going to elevate the work and that You know, when you mention, Chris, that uh, talent is universal and opportunity is not, it's like, here's a perfect example of that. Um, And when you have all these hard working people creating something special, it's, I can't think of a better word, but it's like magical. (laughs) I mean, magic happened. The timeline is not
2: normal, (laughs) like, there was some sort of like beautiful you know everything coming together in the most yeah magical way that one could possibly imagine but the people were the magic i guess <laughs>
0: so, so i guess you know from that from you know we had this we had this idea and and then you're talking about all of this magic and 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 these experiences that came from it and from from your perspective having having been in this industry you know what we did here was uh I think a small but hopefully powerful example of being able to create a space for marginalized communities to to tell their own stories What else can be done to ensure that these stories um can find a platform to 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 get made and to and to reach the audience that's out there
1: do you mean these films in particular or or know, just more
0: filming? more films like that oh, okay. more storytellers like this more opportunities what else? can be done
2: well the resources and the freedom and the trust to let people tell their stories is the way to get more stories like these made you money know, it's just it, it comes down to yeah, and freedom with money and without freedom. resources then you can't you can't make it happen and you or if you do you just can't have the quality of work that will get the not always you know we'll get the we'll get noticed
1: But I think this program showed that when you put, when you have money and you have freedom, you get 10 extraordinary films by 10 extraordinary filmmakers backed up by hundreds of extraordinary collaborators. So like you always talk about like money and like financing and like how money changes, you know, money and freedom is the way to change, I think. Uh, and and stop checking boxes because when you check a box, you put everybody in a compromised position. Of I'll give you this, but you have to change this. And it, and and yeah, you just checked somebody else back in the box. And it loses the integrity <laughs> you know? that every project starts with. You know?
2: Yeah, I hope um, other people in the business or other people that are interested in financing stories and like innovative storytelling, um, get to see what you guys have done because it, it really changed everything, you know, for at the least, impact at least the 10 filmmakers, I know that their careers will go, this is a giant push forward and a unique push forward. Well,
0: <laughs> I, I think that the, um, uh, uh, it's funny talking to, Rishi and Lena and other folks that that money is the is the theme that keeps coming up um I'll say for us it it actually is the the easy part um if you all didn't do the work that you did and the creators didn't do the work they did to actually prove the value of it um it would be uh it would be harder I think to inspire others so you know so uh I'm I'm inspired by by what the results of all this were, and and I hope other other folks are too. Um, we could keep talking for a long time, we'll, um, but in, in the interest of time, we'll we'll wrap up. But just a a couple more quick questions. So, you know, one in terms of the the Latinx community, um, can you talk a little bit about the the prevailing narrative um, that's impacted the community, and, and what changes to that you hope to see?
1: Mm. yeah i think to stop generalizing all the different experience that latin community has you know not every story is the same not every uh, if you're mexican puerto rican uh, uh, salvadorian you're just you know i feel like for so for so long we've just been put into like this is what you like. Oh, one Latino. One. Latin this voice. is who you are. I think also the time, the moment that we start being able to just exist within our stories without necessarily talking about how did you get here yeah. or <laughs> a, being being able to, you know, the the I think there's like a big step forward right now with the Blue Beetle movie, the Marvel movie that's written by a Mexican guy from Querétaro who is super talented and a dear friend and uh, just got cast, the first Mexican superhero, Latino superhero, just got cast in this giant film. And I think that these are the steps into opening up uh, the platform to to sort of... um, being able to step away of that like generalization, and and when money like that goes into a film about a Latino superhero, that's one giant step that I think Hollywood has actually taken forward.
2: Yeah, um, especially because our our countries and communities have seen violence for so long. We we're in the violence every day, and you know it's just. And I understand that. Why I think to make sense of what has happened in our country, sometimes these works um, that depict the violence that we've gone through need to exist as a form of expression. But when they become sensationalized, um, sort of like in the US, and, and then become the, what, how people see the rest of us, um, it's problematic. You know, and so it's time to give the reins of storytelling to Latin people that have or are trying to heal through these, you know, complicated and tumultuous times that our countries have been through, and are ready to just exist as people, as human beings, not as villains, not as drug cartels, not us, but rather like you know, we we want to see ourselves in the very heroic spaces that we also exist in and the very you know moving and human um, experiences that we live our lives in daily and you know in the in the space of overcoming adversity because that's what our communities do consistently every day day, whether it's you know here in the U.S. or in our own uh, in our own countries so to just i think it's time it's time for us for our dreams to also be shown in cinema mm-hmm. and not just the you Their know hearts. devastation of our communities and be you know turned into like the evil the evil people where then the politics grow and you know it's like not to get into it but suddenly it's like everybody's a bad person uh, from our countries and it's not the case at all
0: well as a uh, final question I always like to ask at the end, uh, looking back over the time during the pandemic, is there anything that um, you all have, have seen or experienced that has left you with some optimism for the future?
2: A, a lot of things. I feel like I've seen a lot of things that have on one side weighed me down, but others that have really lifted me up. And the ones that I mean, I think having gone through COVID alone was a really life-changing experience for me. It changed the importance of, it just gave a little bit of a heightened importance to time and what you do with it and, mm. uh, and what you can accomplish and also the power of like just being alive. Um, you know, it, it's, a, yeah, kind of an existential maybe crisis that kicked in as I think a lot of us, you know, whether having gone through COVID or not, we've all been, in, we're all in COVID in a way. And so, um, but yeah, I think there's a little bit of existential existentialism that's been, you know, that's come for for me from this experience and it's positive. It's, you know, to it's opened my eyes to a lot of things that I'm happy and, can, you know, while they're hard to see, I'm happy I see them. And
1: I because I think then we can do something about them. I mean, I keep thinking of Black Lives Matter movement and sort of how even during a global pandemic, people showed up, even with the fear of like the stakes were high. It's life and death. And I think that everybody that showed up put their life at risk to stand up and say, we're tired of other. this, and we don't care that we're in a global pandemic. This is us showing up and and screaming that this needs to stop. And I feel like that moment gave me a lot of hope for the future of our society. I feel like since 2017, I have felt at the client, like my, my, our hope because our parents taught us hope, like has always been really high. and then. 2017 that hope like seemed to sort of be diminishing and diminishing and diminishing. And I feel like for the first time that felt a moment for me of a rage and an ignition that even ignited our mission as storytellers even more because. And the urgency, you
2: know, the the urgency sort of became, I don't know. The time is like a thing. It's a lot of people suffer for, you know, daily and we don't do anything to change it. And it's the urgency of like minimizing that suffering. Like, how do we shorten that time? How do we take back time in a way? Which you can't, but but you can't. But like, if you shorten it in a way you do, you
1: know, let's not prolong this much longer. And the importance of reparations and like to not be just a performative human. Um, yeah. To act. The importance of action, No. know? Mm.
0: <laughs> well, um, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you both so much for joining me, but really thank you so much for everything that you did to make this um, this idea that we had, which, was just an idea and we had no idea how to turn into a reality to, to bringing this all to life in, in such an inspiring and, and powerful way. And I, I really don't believe it could have happened any other way. Um, we're so fortunate to have had you as the, as the, the leaders that you were throughout this and, and everything that you went through to help get it here. So thank you so much for, for being a part of that.
1: Thank you you so much for allowing for this opportunity that came to us to happen. Without it, you know, there'd be, we wouldn't have made 10 incredible short films and realized that the impossible can happen when you have such a strong, powerful mission behind it.
2: Yeah, and recognizing the power of story. I think you guys definitely did that. And for allowing the freedom. Yes. As well. Thank you, Chris. And thank (laughs) you for this time. It's been so lovely to get to chat with you. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks again. And uh, look forward to the next time. And thanks, everyone, for joining us today. As a reminder, all 10 Rising Voices films are available to stream today for free at indeed.com slash rising voices. They're also on Amazon Prime Video. Just search for Rising Voices. I think you'll agree these 10 extraordinary films and the stories they tell are proof of the power of opportunity. Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Until next time.